This is an audio sermon recorded at the Church of Christ at Johnson Mill in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 3801 Johnson Mill Boulevard. So let's start off in Genesis chapter 25 beginning in verse 20. It says, And Isaac was forty years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padanaram, the sister to Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife, because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah was his wife conceived. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb. And two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were, two, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, all over like an hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's hill, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore his name was called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. What, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he sware unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So this is what we're going to go over a little bit this morning. At the very end right there, it says, where Esau despised his birthright. That word despised means he disesteemed his birthright, or he didn't have any respect for it. So that's a little bit what we're going to talk about. When you think about Esau, he was the grandson of Abraham. So you had Abraham's, truly his first son was Ishmael, uh, but he disowned Ishmael. He sent him and Hagar, Ishmael's mother, out. So from a birthright standpoint... Isaac would have received the birthright from Abraham, where Isaac was Esau's dad. The tradition back then for a birthright is that the firstborn would receive a double portion of the inheritance of the rest of the children. So it was a big deal to be the firstborn. You're you supposed to get a lot of inheritance from them. Now, when we think about that, we remember back in the Old Testament about Abraham and how much lands he had and cattle and servants. And Abraham was a very, very wealthy man. And a lot of that inheritance from Abraham would have been passed down to Isaac, which means that Isaac would have been a very wealthy man himself. And then Isaac would have passed that down to his firstborn of Esau. But it says that Esau disesteemed, or he did not have any respect for that, for that birthright. In fact, he had so much disrespect for it that he was willing to sell it just for one measly bowl of soup. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, is that value of a bowl of soup to Esau and what we can learn from that. If we look over in Hebrews chapter 12, let's read verse 14 through 17. Beginning in 14, it says, Follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. 
For ye know how that afterward he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. So this is the, the idea that we want to talk a little bit about this morning. It talks about, in the book of Hebrews, it tells us to look diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God. That's talking to you and I as Christians today. In the New Testament world, that we're supposed to watch diligently and make sure that we're, we're watching so that we don't fail from the grace of God. And then it goes on, and it says, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau. So here's the comparison that we're making this morning. is as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright, that he had no respect for his birthright, that he was willing to sell it for a bowl of soup, that he would have inherited that blessing, but he didn't because he had no repentance. That's what we're going to compare ourselves to today, is what are we willing to sell our birthright as Christians for, like Esau was willing to sell it for one bowl of soup. So the first thing I want to look at is look, let's look at our inheritance that we're promised from Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved for you in heaven. Now when we think about our inheritance that we receive through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it's something that nobody can take away from us. That it's incorruptible, it's undefiled, it will not fade away from heaven. We compare that to Esau's birthright, like his was just a physical birthright. But he was willing to give up all that for one bowl of soup. And ours, is an, it's an eternal birthright. It's heirs with Christ. And it's God who, who's the one who qualifies us for that inheritance. It's Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, it says, "...giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light." Where it tells us there that's made us meet, that means that He qualifies us that we can receive that inheritance. So it's God who adopts us in as His children that we can receive that. In John chapter 14, verse 1 through 4, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. So Jesus is telling us that, that the Lord himself has gone to prepare a place for us in heaven. That's that inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled. That's that spiritual inheritance that we get through Jesus Christ. He's going to prepare a place right now. And he says if he's going to prepare a place for us, he will come back to receive us so that we can, we can have it. When we think about being the children of God, and the children of the Most Holy One, we think about all of the things that, that God owns. He created everything, the heavens and the earth, He has it all. And us as His children, that makes us heirs with Him, and it makes us joint heirs with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Romans 8, verse 16 and 17 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. This is one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, that when we obey God through baptism and we follow after his will, he adopts us in as his children. And as his children, that makes us joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Now think about that for a minute. Jesus Christ was in heaven. He was there as God's son. And he said that he would be willing to go down to earth to die for us, to give us a way that he could share his inheritance with us. 
Once again, it really makes no sense of why Jesus would do that except for his love for us and God's love for us that he was willing to let Jesus do that. Jesus is there preparing your place from his inheritance. He is there preparing your place for you so that you can be that joint heir with him. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5 through 7, it says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's Jesus that come and had shed the blood on the cross for us, and it's Jesus the one that helps us be joint heirs with him to share that inheritance. And we're made heirs when we obey God through baptism. And that's in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3 and 26 says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So this is how you receive that inheritance. This is how you're adopted in into God's house, as you're baptized into Him. You're baptized into Christ and made joint heirs with Him. So when we compare this and we think about Esau for a minute, that he had this inheritance from Isaac, his father, this double portion that he would have received over Jacob, and he was willing to sell that inheritance. He gave it away for one bowl of soup. Now I want you to think for a while about your inheritance that we have through Jesus Christ and being joint heirs with Him. Thinking about all the riches and all the glory and everything that our Father God owns and created, and that you're joint heirs with that. That that's your inheritance that God has promised you. Now think about what are you willing to sell that for? Just as Esau was willing to sell that. It says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall man give in exchange for his soul? You know, so many times we're willing to sell this inheritance that we get from God, not for the whole world, but just for a little sin. Just for a little earthly temptation. We're willing to follow after that temptation and succumb to that. And what, in essence, what we're saying is we're willing to sell our inheritance and give it away just so we can have a little bit of pleasure on this earth. We think that that's ludicrous. Right? When we think about Esau, that he was willing to give away his inheritance for a bowl of soup, that that's crazy. But how many times do we act crazy as Christians today when we're willing to give away that inheritance just so we can follow after one little sin? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 and 25, it says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. When we think about that, when we think about the pleasures of sin, we can be real. From a physical and earthly standpoint, sin can be pleasurable temporarily. And it's very temporarily as a season. And remember that with sin comes the deceitfulness of sin. That small amount of physical pleasure that you may receive from getting that is going to come up with a lot more heartaches later. Let's look at Esau for a second. When you think about Esau, it said that he was out hunting that he was out all day and he was so hungry when he came back that Jacob had this bowl of soup and he said, give me the bowl of soup. I'm at the point where I'm about to die. Give it to me. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright. So he did. Do you think that Esau was going to be hungry again after he ate that bowl of soup? 
Probably so. When we think about that, we think about the temptation of sin. You have the temptation of sin, and you can choose to succumb to that temptation. Do you think that that temptation is going to come back? Do you think you're going to be tempted again? Absolutely. That's the devil working on your life. That temptation is going to keep coming over and over and over. And the more often that you succumb to that temptation, and you go through and follow with it, the more often that temptation is going to hit you. And it's going to keep coming back faster and faster and faster. But if you can reject that temptation and not follow after your sin, then the stronger you can be to overcome it the next time. So Esau gave away his inheritance for one bowl of soup because he was hungry, and he was going to be hungry again. And we're willing to give away our inheritance for a little sin, and that sin is going to come back again and again. In Proverbs chapter 23, verse 29, it says, Who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? Those that tarry long at wine, those that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. Think a little bit about what we just read from the book of Proverbs. Now, this is directly talking to people with with alcoholism and being drunkenness with wine. That's what it's talking about. And it talks about the temptation. It says, They that tarry long at the wine, verse 31, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. That's saying, don't look upon these things when it's tempting you. Like it's going to, you're going to succumb to that temptation. Don't look upon those things. And then it talks about the deceitfulness of sin right after in verse 32. It says, And at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. It's going to tempt you. You're going to think that this is pleasurable, this is going to be great, and then at the very end, it's going to kick you. It's going to be right there and bite you just like a snake. And then it goes on and talks a little bit more. It says that you shall be as one that lieth down in the midst of the sea or that lieth upon the top of the mast. Imagine that, that for anyone who has ever struggled with alcoholism, if you've been drunk, it feels like everything is swaying back and forth, but it's not. It's playing tricks on you. And that's the alcohol at work. It's that temptation that, that's, uh, that is making you feel that way. And then in verse 35, it says, Thou have stric- stricken me, and I was not sick. You've beaten me, and I felt it not. This messes with your body physically. And then at the very end, it says, When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. The temptation of sin is going to come over and over and over. And the more you give in to that temptation, the more often it's going to come and and it's going to hurt you. It's going to seem pleasurable for a moment, but then at the end, it's going to sting like an adder. It's going to bite you like a snake. So you've got to watch out for that. You've You've got to make sure that we're staying on top of what we need to do. We're not willing to sell our inheritance like Esau did for a bowl of soup or just for a little bit of sin. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 through 22, it says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, who is that talking about? That's talking about Christians. If you are in the world and you've escaped from the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that means you've been pulled out of the world, you've been called out of the world, which we know is the church. 
The church is the called out, those who have been called out of the world into Jesus Christ. He is talking to Christians here. He says, For after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, they have been saved, they have obeyed him in baptism, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, The dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire, or in the mud. When you think about that, we have all seen that before. We've seen a dog that will go up and it'll, it'll vomit, it'll throw up stuff that's not good for him, and then what's the first thing it does? Eats it right back up. It's crazy, right? Well, that's what we're talking about here for Christians, that they've been pulled out of the world. They have been brought out of that life of sin, and they're following after Jesus. But the first thing that they want to do is go right back into that life of sin. Just as it's crazy for that dog to eat it back up, it's crazy for Christians to follow after the world again. When we have been called out, we've been called out to follow after Jesus Christ for all the days of our life. So we have to make sure that we're not selling our inheritance for a measly little sin, a measly little temporary temptation that we decide to follow after. But instead, we stay true. So how can we make sure that we stay strong when these times of temptations arise? Well, the first thing is we have to make sure that we don't put ourselves in a position to become weak. When we think about Esau, it says that he was out hunting all day. Well, it sounds to me like he didn't make preparations to be out hunting all day. Because he was out there and he was hunting and he obviously didn't find anything. And then he comes back and he was famished and he said he's at the point of he's going to die. And I'll just be real with you. You're not going to die for going one day without eating. Not going to happen. You'll be fine. Jesus Christ went 40 days fasting. I think you can go one. But Esau didn't think that he could do that. Said he was at the point of dying, which tells us he didn't make preparations just for being out one day. Well, a lot of times we don't make preparations as well. You know, when we think about that, we tend to go to places that we know we shouldn't go. We hang out with people we know we shouldn't be hanging out with. We allow certain temptations in our life, and when we allow those temptations in our life, we're allowing ourselves to become weak when those temptations arise. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, it says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, it says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. You know, there's a lot of times that we may tend to hang out with people and we'll say like, oh, well, they're, they're good people. They just have these bad things in their life or whatever. And I'm not going to let it affect me. I'm not going to let it pull me away. And in 1 Corinthians, it's telling us, be not deceived. Evil communications or evil ways of conduct, people who live in a life of sin, they will corrupt good manners. It's not a matter of if they're going to corrupt you or not. It's a matter of when. How soon is it going to come? So be careful with the people that you hang out with and be careful with the places that you go. And think about the people that you're hanging out with. You know, it's commonly said that we are, we are the average of the five people that we spend the most time with. So think about that. Think about who's those five people that you spend the most time with. Who is it that you choose to be in relationships with that in all reality it's not serving you any benefit? Spiritual benefit, but in fact it could be dragging you down. Who are those people? And what can you do to change those relationships? 
could you change that relationship with instead of them dragging you down, in fact, you're building them up? Maybe you start a Bible study with them. Maybe you invite them here to church. Maybe you just have conversations with them. Or if that's not the case, maybe we need to cut those relationships from our life. Remember, it tells us in the book of Matthew that what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? If he gain the whole world, but he lose his soul, what does it profit? Well, that turns into relationships, too. I'm not being an advocate of go cut out all the relationships of your life, but what I am saying is be careful with what relationships you do allow in your life because they could be dragging you around and, and they could be corrupting your good manners. You know, Jesus, when he was fighting temptation, he fought it off by strengthening himself in the Lord. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 4, it says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Being forty days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made of bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So here's the comparison that we have with Esau being out one day, and he was so hungry he said he was at the point of dying, so he was willing to sell his inheritance for one bowl of soup. And then you have Jesus here as our, the example that we should be following. He was out in the wilderness for 40 days and did eat nothing. Probably one of the biggest understatements in the Bible, it says, and then afterward he hungered. Yeah, I bet he did. I bet he was pretty hungry after 40 days. But still, he was able to stay strong against the temptations of the devil. You know, when you think about being really hungry, sometimes we just really don't think very clearly when we're really hungry. But Jesus was able to stand guard and stay true. And why was he able to do that? Jesus gives the answer in verse 4. It says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. He may have been hungry physically, but the whole time he was out in the wilderness, he was feeding, feeding himself spiritually. You know, when you think about that, I heard an example a while back. That you think of there's two dogs inside of each one of you. There's an earthly dog, and then there's a spiritual dog. And they're constantly fighting against each other. The earthly side is constantly fighting against the spiritual side. Now, whoever is going to win is going to be which one you feed the most. So if you're continually feeding yourself spiritually, and you're bringing in that spiritual food with studying your Bible, being around fellow Christians and fellowshipping with them, going to Bible studies, singing praises unto God, constantly feeding yourself spiritually then your spiritual side's going to win. You can stay true. You can stay strong. But if you're constantly feeding yourself from an earthly and physical standpoint, meaning you're going after these fleshly temptations, you're allowing those things to distract you, you're putting yourselves in positions to be weak, going to places you shouldn't, hang around with people you shouldn't, well, then that one's going to win. That one's going to overtake your spiritual side. And the great thing that we now know is that we have a choice. Do you want to be strong spiritually for God, or do you want to be strong physically for Satan? It's your choice. And hopefully you're all deciding that you want to be strong spiritually for God. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand that in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. 
Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplications for all saints. So here it gives us great examples of how we can prepare ourselves. You know, Esau, it's apparent that he did not prepare himself when he was going out for a day. And here it gives us the examples of how we can prepare ourselves. That we take on the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That we, we bring about the truth in our life. That we're constantly looking at those things. We're preparing ourselves for battle. We're constantly in a battle all the time, whether we realize it or not. We are always in a battle against the devil. And the more we fight, the easier it becomes. The more we let Satan win, the harder it becomes. So continue to fight. Make sure that you're leaning upon your brothers and sisters for help. If there's a temptation in your life that's, that's really getting you and it's overcoming you, let's, let some of your brothers and sisters help you. Maybe it's a Bible study we can do. Maybe it's prayers of encouragement. Whatever we can do to make sure that we're constantly fighting against those temptations. You know, another thing that Esau did, besides just not being prepared, is he also made excuses. Esau excused himself by saying he was at the point of death in order to justify him selling his birthright for a bowl of soup. He wasn't at the point of death. He wasn't going to die. But that, for him, was his reasoning. It was his justification to say it's okay for him to give up his birthright for that bowl of soup because he was at the point of death. So what excuses are we making today? You know, some of these excuses that I've told myself and I, that I've heard some other people say is, well, nobody's watching, or it's just a little sin, it's no big deal, or even I can ask for forgiveness later, and God is just and faithful to forgive me. These are some excuses that we tend to make in order to justify our own actions when we want to follow after that temptations. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, it says, For if we sin willfully... After that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Think about that for a little bit. When we, This is comparing it back to the Moses Law. Verse 28, it says, He that despised Moses' law, the ones who went against Moses' law, he died without mercy. There was no mercy for that person. Remember back in the Old Testament, the story of the guy who went out on the Sabbath day and he was picking up sticks, and what was God's judgment? Stone him. He was just out picking up sticks, and God said, Stone him, no mercy. He did not follow after Moses' law. Now let's think about us today. Verse 29, how much sore punishment, meaning us, how much worse is it going to be if you've trodden underfoot the Son of God? You've counted the blood of God, the blood of Jesus Christ, an unholy thing. Meaning that you're willing to follow after that temptation when you know good and well that Jesus died on the cross so that you wouldn't do that, so that you would be forgiven of your sins, so you would follow after Him. And you're counting it an unholy thing if you sin willfully. 
So when we make these excuses in our life, remember this verse. How much sore punishment is it going to be if we sin willfully, saying that "Ah, God's going to forgive me later, nobody's watching, it's just a little sin, it's no big deal, I'll make up for it later somehow. All these excuses are sinning willfully, and we're counting it shame of what God did for us in Christ on the cross. So when we look back at Esau, you know, we call him a fool for, for selling his birthright for a bowl of soup. How foolish was that? We look at him and everything that he was going to get from his father Isaac, all the blessings that he was going to have, and everything that he was going to be able to do with those, and he gave it away for one bowl of soup. And we call him a fool. And I pray that each one of us will realize this morning the value of our inheritance, and we will not choose to sell it for a little old sin and for a little old temptation. Luke chapter 15, verse 11, it says, And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered it all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. This is a story we look at a lot in Luke chapter 15. It's a story about the prodigal son. This is when the younger son goes out, and it says right there in verse 13, he wasted his substance with riotous living. When we choose to sell our inheritance and we choose to follow after the sin and this temptation, you're wasting your substance, you're wasting your spiritual inheritance for riotous living, just like the prodigal son did. You know, there may be some of you here this morning that you feel like you're in that boat. Do you feel like you've gone out and that you have been wasting away your inheritance with riotous living? You have been allowing these temptations to overcome your life. Maybe you've been making your excuses in order to do that. Maybe you haven't been preparing yourself to fight against those temptations. But maybe at this point, right here this morning, you feel like you're that younger son and that you've gone and wasted your inheritance. Well, let's look at the father's response when that younger son decides to return home. In Luke 15, verse 18, It says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, And put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to be merry. This is the open arms that God would be willing to have for you this morning. If you're that younger son, you've been wasting your inheritance away on riotous living. If you make the decision to come back, God will welcome you back. He will welcome you back as his son. It says there in verse 24, it says, This my son was dead. Maybe you're in this point this morning of being dead. Maybe you followed after these sins. But now you can be alive again if you'll just turn back to God. Just follow after him. You can have that promise of inheritance. You can become that joint heir with Christ. Just follow after him. Repent of your sins. And God will be merry, and each one of us here this morning will be merry as well. We want to help you. We want to see you achieve. God is ready for you to come home today if you've been wasting it away with riotous living. He's ready to welcome you back. When you do come back, or if you're there right now, 
then we need to make sure that we're constantly staying true to God, that we're constantly preparing for battle, the battle that we're in all the time, that we're not making excuses, that we're leaning upon our brothers and sisters for help, that we are being those helpful brothers or sisters when we have others in times of need, and that we're constantly plugging forward. So at the end, we can hear the beautiful words that talks about in Matthew 25. Matthew 25 and 21, it says, His Lord said unto them, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, and I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. This is the promise of, that we're hoping to receive. And if we stay true to God, if we stay true to Him as His children and as joint heirs with Christ, this is a promise you will receive. That you will be able to enter in into the joys of the Lord, into heaven, that place that Jesus has prepared for you. You know, we talked about early on in the study that in order to become a joint heir with Christ, you have to be baptized into Him. You're baptized into Christ, you wash away your sins, and instantly you're made a child of God and a joint heir with Him. And if you haven't done that this morning, and you don't have that, that spiritual inheritance that we've been talking about, then I would encourage you to do so today before it's too late. If you want to be a true child of God and you want to have that inheritance, then that's what you've got to do. You have to be baptized into Christ and then follow after Him. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons each week, subscribe on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless.